Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your take on all newsworthy things in the world of animals and zoos and conservation and aquariums and all that cool stuff. This is a crowdsourced Zoo News podcast, so a quick reminder that if you happen to see anything you think is Zoo News worthy, you can go ahead and tag me in that on social media, at Rossafari or at Rossafari Pod on TikTok, uh, or email me something about what you see, uh, rossafaripod at gmail.com, and I will uh, say your name at the end of the episode, whether we talk about the thing or not. So that's that's very exciting to people who like having their names said at the end of the episode. Anyway, we always start off with a little update about me. And um, so as I release this episode on uh, Friday, April 28th, uh, we are officially opening Million Dollar Quartet at the Media Theater in Media, Pennsylvania. And I say we because, uh, you know, it's more than me in the show. Um, but in this case, it's especially noteworthy to podcast fans because uh, our Jerry Lee Lewis is played by none other than Taylor Isaac Gray, who y'all know from a lot of the songs on here and from the Interrupting John theme on the main podcast and all all that good stuff. Say hello, Taylor. Oh, wait, I forgot. Taylor's not actually sitting with me right now. He's upstairs. He's actually staying with me for this this whole run. So, uh, so yeah, we've been hanging out. Um, you may get to hear some new musical stuff uh, from him and I down the road here a bit. But anyway, I uh, wanted to tell you that. Also wanted to tell you some other really exciting news. Uh, first of all, I know I've talked about it a little bit, but in case you're not caught up on the pod or haven't been on the socials too much, I'm going to be releasing a third podcast. Now, just like with Zoo News and with the main Rossafari podcast, it will be in this feed for a variety of reasons. And unlike those two podcasts, it is not going to be a weekly thing. It's going to be a as-I-release-it thing. Maybe every other week for a while, maybe less than that. I'm not sure. Uh, there's a whole lot going on just keeping this podcast, you know, going and stuff. But I think it is an important podcast, and I'm excited to share it with y'all. Uh, it is called Conservation Tales, and I spelled it like tales like animals. And it is uh, each episode is going to be just one quick look at one conservation effort being done at a zoo, often the types that don't get a ton of um, attention, you know, on social media and stuff, and just really digging in very quickly in maybe 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes uh, into one project being done at one zoo or aquarium that is making a really cool impact. And um, so far, I have three episodes completely done. And uh, they're, they're not released yet, but they will be soon. And they are awesome. And actually, 
The first one is available if you are a patron. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Rossafari and support the pod for as little as $3 a month. You do get a uh, cool bonus audio from multiple episodes, but in this case, you also get to hear the first episode of Conservation Tales early. So that's exciting. Uh, yeah, so hopefully you, you check it out either, uh, you know, by becoming a patron or just by listening to it when I drop it. Uh, and then one other cool thing that I wanted to share with y'all, my friends at Penguins International have released two short films on YouTube. Uh, they actually worked with some students, and it, it's this whole thing, and they are called White Gold and White Gold 2, and they're talking about penguins and penguin poop, and um, guano is, is the white gold in question. And uh, they're really great, really interesting films that uh, are worth watching just because of that fact, but also because I was able to do some voiceover work for those films before I headed down to Florida earlier this year. So, um, yeah, you can hear my, my official uh, film debut as a voiceover artist. And um, if you're a person who listens to this and, and maybe you make films for the zoo or aquarium that you work with, I know a lot of my friends that, that listen are on the PR teams of various facilities, and you, uh, you need a, a wonderful voice. I don't know what the hell that was. But, yeah, if you want somebody to do voiceover for some of your stuff, let's talk, because I had a great time doing it, and I, I love using my voice for conservation efforts. So go check out white gold and white gold too uh you know on penguins international's uh, social media pages all right let's get to this Well, we start off with news out of the Memphis Zoo, where giant panda Yaya has officially left the building. Uh, she is on her way back to China after her 20-year uh, rental or lease is over, and um, she's on her way back to China. So uh, while it is very, very sad to see one of the few remaining uh, American facilities with a giant panda lose said panda, um, you know, it's been 20 years and and I honestly think with all the craziness that happened around um, the whole panda situation there that we've talked about on here a bunch, I, I think I think it might be a little bit uh, okay to to give the team a break. Uh, hopefully the transportation goes well and getting back into the new home goes well and all that jazz. But as for now, the Memphis Zoo no longer has panda bears. And actually, you know, we were talking uh, in previous episodes about the um, the weirdness surrounding how people have treated zookeepers and such at the Memphis Zoo because of the alleged and not accurate uh, mistreatment of the panda bears there. And we have some other stories that kind of go along with just people being weird about zoos. So we're going to talk about a couple of those now. Uh, earlier this week, the Fort Wayne Children's Zoo's e-commerce site was hacked resulting in the false sale of, quote, free tickets. Um, so basically what happened is hackers went in there and set it up so that they advertised that you could get free tickets to the zoo if you went and claimed them right away. And then they just kind of did it and made these, like, 
emailed tickets that people could use to get into the zoo for free. Now, the zoo was able to figure it out that, you know, this had happened right away. And uh, they quickly put up a post saying, hey, those free tickets are not from us. They're not real. We need money to thrive. Our admissions uh, helps pay to take care of the animals and stuff. So, like, sorry, but the free tickets were just a weird hacker thing. But, like, what a weird thing to do. People have been attacking zoos in such weird ways. And the idea of just setting up these free tickets is like kind of evil and kind of brilliant all at once because, you know, it does. That, that hits them where it hurts. It hits them in the financial area. Um, but man, when you can, you can hack a website and that's your, I don't know. I just, I just find it very weird, but I'm glad that the zoo was able to figure it out and put up announcements and hopefully not have to deal with too much drama because of these hackers. And then we get to another one, which uh, this time it was apparently a disgruntled employee causing the drama, but I found it just shocking. Um, so Reptile Land is an AZA accredited zoo in Pennsylvania that, uh, spoiler alert, you're going to be hearing about very very soon. I have gone there. I have toured the entire facility, both the uh, public areas and the behind the scenes areas. And um, I met like most of the team, including Clyde Peeling, who owns the place and um, some of his family who like are in charge of the management of it along with Clyde. So I was very surprised to find out this week that um, a complaint had been lodged against Reptile Land implying that they do not do good work, that they do not take care of their animals properly, and uh, in fact, that they should not be AZA accredited. This is, again, what the complaint stated. And the AZA took this very seriously, and it turns out it was just a disgruntled employee being a disgruntled employee. So I'm actually going to read this entire thing to you. It's it's a couple of paragraphs long, but it's it's really worth it. And they say it better than I can paraphrase it. Reptile Land gets a report card. Two zoo professionals visited Clyde Peeling's Reptile Land earlier this year in response to allegations of substandard animal welfare. Their report determined that, quote, none of the allegations lodged by past employees against the Reptile Land program were valid as evidenced in the team's findings, end quote. The team was particularly impressed with the, quote, staff expertise across all levels in the care and welfare of herptofauna, reptiles and amphibians, and added that the zoo has an, quote, excellent culture of teamwork, collaboration, and open communication. The entire staff knew the allegations were false, but having it confirmed by two experienced professionals, neither of whom had previously visited Reptile Land, was reassuring, said operations manager Elliot Peeling. The visiting committee represented the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, AZA, the organization that is the gold standard for accrediting the finest zoos in the country, Reptile Land among them since 1986. AZA's Accreditation Programs Coordinator, Sherry Bermudez, also joined the team as an observer and commented that it was, quote, deeply inspiring to see firsthand how committed you and your staff are to the animals in your care. Clyde Peeling welcomed the inspection, stating, quote, if accreditation has meaning, it's essential that AZA follow up allegations against any member zoo, which I thought was really awesome. 
The visiting team included Jeffrey Etling, Ph.D., the president and CEO of Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens, with more than 20 years' experience with reptiles and amphibian husbandry, and veterinarian Jeff Wyatt, DVM, professor and chair at the University of Rochester. They were eminently qualified to evaluate us, said Clyde. They scrutinized our facilities, animal care protocols, and animal records of the past five years. They also interviewed Reptile Land's veterinarian, Dr. Steve Winton, and every member of the Animal Keeper staff. The inspection team commented that Reptile Land has an exemplary working relationship between the veterinarian, middle management, and frontline staff. The positive report came as no surprise to the Reptile Land staff, said zoological manager Catherine Allen, who you will be hearing from soon. Animal welfare has always been a top priority for animals both on and off exhibit. So that's their full statement. And I wanted to say it all in part because it's so annoying that, you know, a disgruntled employee or disgruntled employees uh, tried to make a stink about this facility, which is great. But also I wanted to add my own two cents here because, you know, clearly a veterinarian and the president of an amazing zoo don't know as much as a podcaster does. No, I'm kidding. But all joking aside, Reptile Land was an incredibly open facility to me. I got to see how they do things. I also got to watch their team interact, and I was wildly, wildly impressed. There is so much communication between all levels of management and staff. They all encourage each other. They all do amazing, awesome work, and I really can't wait to share those episodes with y'all. They're really, really good. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I hate to see this kind of thing happen, but uh, I'm really impressed that the AZA followed up and I'm really impressed that Reptile Land knocked the inspection out of the park. So, uh, congrats to everyone involved, except for the people who were trying to wreak havoc on zoos lately, uh, which just kind of sucks. And in a different kind of havoc wreaking, our good friends at Adventure Aquarium uh, announced that back in January, Jumoki, one of the African penguins there, had to be taken to the internal medicine department at Philadelphia Animal Specialty and Emergency, which is a veterinary emergency hospital, after it was discovered that she had swallowed a quarter that someone had thrown into her exhibit. Uh, and this is just a friendly reminder that shiny metal objects in the water are going to attract penguins who are probably going to try and eat them since they eat shiny metal looking fish. So let's not do that. Just a friendly reminder. But again, it's just, you know, one of those things where it feels like decorum at zoos and aquariums has just kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. Now, I know you're worried, but don't be. The penguin was fine. They took good care of it. And uh, the penguin is now on exhibit and living her best life with her mate. So yay, Adventure Aquarium for doing awesome work. But boo people for doing bad stuff. All right, all right, all right. Enough of this. We really need to get to something positive. So uh, the Toledo Zoo in Toledo, Ohio, has those polar bear twins that, that we've been talking about. Well, guess what, y'all? They are, as of today when this podcast drops, officially on exhibit. So I would like you all to be very proud of me for not quitting my show, hopping in my car, and driving to Toledo Immediately. The temptation was strong, y'all. But yeah, if you're able to get to the Toledo Zoo anytime soon, you have a chance of seeing polar bear cubs, twins, on exhibit. 
One of the facilities that I always find myself inspired by is uh, the Trevor Zoo at Millbrook School. Now, I'm sure you all have heard the episodes, but if you don't remember, they are the only high school in the country with an AZA-accredited zoo. And the opportunities that these students get to have are, like, really, really amazing. Not just in terms of, you know being zookeepers while in high school, but also in terms of the cool stuff they do. You may remember that from the AZA conference last year, I sat down with a couple of students that were there attending the conference. They were doing the thing. It's it's awesome. What a cool opportunity. And it turns out they got to have another really cool one recently. A few of the students at the zoo, along with some of the staff, got to head to Washington, D.C. recently to attend the AZA's Advocacy Day on the 19th. So they were able to meet with the aides of Patrick Ryan, Nicole Maliotakis, and Chuck Schumer. They were there to tell their story as students attending the only high school in the country with a zoo and talk about the amazing opportunities. They actually ended up not only meeting those aides, but but also meeting representatives in person, encouraging them to learn more about the AZA's political initiatives. They also got to attend a Ways and Means Committee meeting and to hang out on the House floor for a bit. So, like, this is really cool, and it seems like these students were able to convince a few members of Congress to join the Zoo and Aquarium Caucus. That's ridiculous, and these are high school students. It is so cool what the Trevor Zoo is doing. All right, now it's time to turn it back to some sad news. Uh, I got a couple of deaths to talk about, and this first one is really heartbreaking. Zoo Knoxville recently announced the death of Lydia, a seven-year-old Hartman's Mountain Zebra, due to injuries she sustained after colliding with a fence. What happened was that first responders were called to treat a medical emergency that necessitated ambulance access to the guest pathway in front of the zebra habitat. The ambulance did proceed without sirens at the request of zoo staff, and although zebra are acclimated to truck and car traffic on the service road behind their habitat, they are not used to traffic being in that area. Um, the staff immediately noticed that the zebras were reactive to the ambulance and began intervening to move them from that area of the habitat uh, to a different area where they would not be bothered. The zebra had calmed and the assessment was made that they could remain in their habitat. And uh, shortly after the ambulance exited, Lydia unexpectedly bolted and collided with a containment fence. They did try, uh, you know, different emergency protocols to take care of Lydia. However, there was nothing they could do, and uh, she was deceased by the time that they reached her. She died instantaneously due to trauma to the neck. It's really, really heartbreaking. But the zoo does want to remind everybody that um, the top priority is the safety of guests, employees, and animals. And they do regularly drill for emergencies to be prepared for every conceivable scenario to ensure positive outcomes. In this case, it didn't work out the way they wanted to, but they tried really, really hard and, you know, tried to do the best that they could. It's it's a really sad story, and knowing some people who are on that team, I know how devastated they were. Um, but, you know, hoofstock scares easily, and when an emergency happens to a guest, you have to 
take care of that guest. And if the ambulance needed to go there and needed to go there right then, then it needed to. So it's a really heartbreaking story, and our condolences go out to everyone at Zoo Knoxville. Another loss is coming to you from the Bronx Zoo, but it's not one of their collection animals. Instead, Godzilla, the four-foot-long alligator, pulled from Prospect Park Lake in Brooklyn in February. We talked about that on this podcast at that time died on April 16th. Uh, The zoo was working as hard as they could to save this emaciated alligator, and they did all that they could, but it just, it wasn't enough. The animal was too far gone. Um, It had also ingested a four-inch wide bathtub stopper before being rescued, uh, and they couldn't remove it because... um, the alligator was too weak to have surgery. Eventually, they were actually able to, but by the time that they did, her health was too far gone, and she never really recovered from the neglect she experienced before being dropped in the lake. So it's a sad story and a friendly reminder to everyone that, you know, pet exotic animals are not a great idea unless you're able to take care of them. And I promise you, you are not able to take care of a full-size alligator. Uh, So... Yeah, let's not do that. I know y'all know that, but it's it's sad that that Godzilla has died. And um, yeah, I guess I'll be sad tomorrow when we play See You Later, Alligator. Maybe it'll be more of a dirge. Oh, I can't believe I'm making a joke at the end of this story. Oof. And last but not least in our sad deaths category, um, a giant panda has died unexpectedly before heading home to China. And no, we haven't teleported to the past. And no, I'm not repeating a story from a couple of months ago. But yeah, this has happened again. Um, A giant panda on a long-term loan from China died in a zoo in northern Thailand on Wednesday, only six months before she was due to return home. Necropsy results are not in yet, so they're not sure exactly what happened, but um, she fell ill in the morning and her nose was seen bleeding when she laid down after a meal. They obviously tried very hard to take care of her with uh, the veterinary team, which was comprised of both Thai and Chinese veterinarians, but she uh, passed away, sadly. However, she was 21 years old. And, um, you know, that's a very similar story to what happened in Memphis. You get these bears who are elderly, who aren't showing negative health conditions, who are, you know, given health checkups regularly and such, but they're old, sick animals. And, um, you know, when it comes to panda bears, people like to make a huge deal about it. But like, Anyone who's ever had an old dog knows that it gets really scary when you have to go to the vet for an emergency. So, um, you know, it's a really sad story. And it's a hellaciously weird coincidence that this has happened twice in two different places. Um, But that's what it is. Old animals eventually die. Sad but true. Except for my puppy, Lexi, who is 14 years old and is going to live forever. Just in case you were wondering. But as the Lion King taught us, there is a circle of life, and while we mourn these deaths, we also celebrate some new births. This week, a Cleveland Metro Park Zoo announced the birth of a baby white-faced sake monkey, which is absolutely adorable and is very much worth checking out on their social media pages. And also, we need to say congratulations to the team at Zoo Atlanta on the birth of their latest gorilla baby. So that is a white-faced sake monklet and a gorillet. 
Grillet is a really weird one, y'all. But hey, I like it. So um, yeah, it's actually really interesting. It seems like certain zoos are just really, really good at breeding certain species. And Zoo Atlanta is really good at breeding gorillas. Uh, the mother in this case is uh, Shalia. Shalia, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. And um, it was actually, uh, the baby was born two weeks prior to what was anticipated. So it was a premature birth. However, the infant appears healthy and strong is nursing normally and is receiving appropriate maternal care, which is really exciting. Because it's getting proper maternal care, that also means they haven't been able to sex it yet. But uh, it is the 25th gorilla born at the zoo since 1988. That is absolutely crazy. That's just really exciting. So congrats to everyone at Cleveland Metro Park Zoo and Zoo Atlanta. Mystic Aquarium announced recently that they have released two more seals from their clinic, Habanero and Mulberry. They have both been released uh, back into the wild after being treated for medical issues, and uh, things are looking up for those seals. So just a great reminder that Mystic Aquarium is there doing the thing, helping heal seals. Seal heal. Yay! So a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned the fact that um, the Capron Park Zoo in Attleboro, Massachusetts, has really been struggling since COVID. They just don't have the finances to keep doing what they need to do, although they are still taking the best care of the animals. And um, as such, the uh, the recommendation was made and the city council has approved the notion of using hundreds of thousands of dollars in COVID relief funding to bail out the city's zoo. So that's actually really exciting news for the zoo. Um, you know, obviously they're taking care of the animals and that costs money. And this is really going to help out. Uh, it's a infusion of $470,000 from the American Rescue Plan Act that is going to save the zoo uh, and at least hold them over until the task force can come up with a long-term solution to keep the zoo operational and moving forward. Attleboro is very dedicated to keeping this zoo going. They believe it is very important, both for the community and for uh, the animals that are taken care of there. So uh, I'm excited to see that Attleboro is so dedicated to making this work, and hopefully it does. Almost half a million bucks is going to go a long way to, to ensuring that Capron Park Zoo stays with us long term. The team of naturalist interpreters at Zoo de Grande in Quebec, Canada, is uh, currently working with about 47,000 young people every year through workshops uh, in which they try to get them involved in the conservation movement through conservation education. However, they've decided they need to reach a wider audience and to be more inclusive. And as such, they have designed a new workshop aimed at students with special needs, specifically those on the autism spectrum. This is really cool. Uh, the workshop was developed in collaboration with specialized educational institutions and with training from a specialized organization, Autism Montierregion. I don't know how to say this. I don't speak French, sorry. But um, a really cool autism uh, organization in Quebec that 
speaks French. Anyway, I think this is really awesome. I'm really in, impressed with uh, Zoo de Grandi for wanting to take this step. And um, I, I hope there's a lot of uh, success there and that the, the special needs students are able to learn about conservation just like the other students can. So Mother's Day is coming up, and um, I know that can be a sore subject for some people, but there were a couple of things that I wanted to highlight that zoos are doing that I thought were important. So uh, if, if you're not into the whole thing, then just uh, fast forward like a minute and you'll be fine. Anyway, uh, the one thing that I wanted to highlight is at the Toledo Zoo, where you can give your mother uh, a Mother's Day gift of sponsoring a monarch butterfly tag. Basically, this is a tag that is put onto migrating monarch butterflies, and uh, then they are able to use these tags to track the butterflies and get an idea of what's going on with migration and everything, which is especially important right now since uh, monarchs are struggling so much. So this is a cool way to make a donation uh, for Mother's Day in your mother's name and uh, help out a great conservation organization at the Toledo Zoo. Also, you may remember from our latest episode on Tuesday that um, there is a baby tree kangaroo, a tree kangaroo joey, a tree kangalette uh, at Roger Williams Park Zoo named Paya, who I am in love with. And um, <laughs> you can now send a Mother's Day card featuring the pair for $15 uh, donated to Roger Williams Park Zoo. So go to at RWP Zoo to find out how to do that. And you can send your mother or really just anybody you love who loves cute cards a, um, a tree kangaroo card for Mother's Day or just because tree kangaroo. I might send myself one of these. I have a problem, y'all. And last but not least in uh, Zoo News this week, uh, we have an update to another story. So I told you about a puma that passed away recently after contracting uh, avian influenza, bird flu, which is not a particularly good thing and is, is scary. If, if mammals are, are getting this and dying from it, um, it's, it's just a scary thing to consider. Well, it turns out that um, there is now a uh, puma that I mentioned, a black bear and a skunk all in Colorado who have died from bird flu. So this is, this is getting a little creepy and a little scary, y'all. So uh, again, if you're a keeper, make sure you're keeping your eyes on your mammals whenever you are also seeing your zoo protecting your bird species because bird flu is back in the area. Conservation, conservation, news time. Oh, yeah. I'm throwing this one into conservation news because it should be, but it's technically also a zoo thing. Um, recently, at a zoo that I will not name, a balloon was found in a rhino enclosure. It was a deflated balloon. It was very shiny, and it had a message written on it to someone who had passed away. So this is just a friendly reminder that when you send balloons up into the air, they eventually come down. They come down into zoo exhibits and other places where animals might see them and try to eat them or play with them. They come down into the ocean where they can look like yummy things and get ingested by animals who could die from it. And, you know, you're not sending a balloon to heaven. Spoiler alert, but that's not how that works. Even even if you believe in heaven, that's... That's not how that works. So um, just a friendly reminder to encourage your friends, because I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're not randomly sending balloons up into the sky. But a friendly reminder to not 
let your friends do that either. Thanks. A weird trend has been happening with Australia's tree kangaroos recently, specifically the Lumholtz tree kangaroo population. They have been turning up lately in hardware stores, service stations, and school classrooms, all without invitation. And it turns out that most of these have wandered into these places where they don't really want to be because they are suffering blindness, which is really heartbreaking. Veterinary experts are currently seeking more funding to uh, figure out exactly why, but it is believed that the main reason why is that they are eating toxic leaves. The weird thing about it is that the eyes are being examined and actually seem fine. The eyes are able to see. And so this is something that is known as central blindness, which means that it's something beyond the eyes and the central nervous system that is causing the signals from the eyes to not properly reach the brain and as such uh, vision is lost. And uh, it's it's really a problem, especially because, you know, Lumholtz tree kangaroos are not doing very well. Um, so yeah, it is a belief, and it is just that right now, that climate change is leading to increased toxicity in the leaves that Lumholtz tree kangaroos eat. So this is something that definitely needs to be further examined, and they need to fix this right away before I start crying about it more than I already have. If you remember way back uh, with our episode from Fossil Rim, where we talked about the lesser prairie chicken, which is a species that is really, really struggling, uh, especially in the United States right now, where the population has declined by 97% since the 1960s. Uh, you'll know that at the time, the, the bird was not listed on the Endangered Species Act, but it was last November, which is really, really exciting and, of course, was a science-based decision. Well, now Congress is attempting to overturn that decision to delist the lesser prairie chicken from the um, Endangered Species Act protections, which is just ridiculous to me. I don't fully understand the political reasons why this is a thing other than because apparently uh, certain parties and government think that conservation is a bad thing and we should vote those people out. But um, yeah, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but a species that just got listed that really, really needs help and that has declined in population by 96% may now be unlisted by our idiot Congress. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Two cool stories out of Hawaii this week. Um, efforts to keep waters around Hawaii pristine are getting some very, very important funding. The University of Hawaii Sea Grant College Program and its partners have been awarded over $5.1 million from the National Sea Grant College Program. This money is being used to clean ocean debris. And uh, y'all, there's a lot of that. Um, but this is something that's really important uh, for the animals and humans of Hawaii. Uh, you know, everything for not dying from ingesting plastics in the ocean to ecotourism, which is wildly important and also brings in a lot of money, which, uh, you know, is important for conservation as well. So uh, this $5.1 million is is very welcome on the islands and uh, hopefully, hopefully leads to some serious change and a lot of really cool cleaning 
And I also love this next story out of Hawaii because Hawaii is taking a monk seal mother and pup very seriously now. Monk seals are endangered. And uh, what happens is when the monk seal is born, they tend to go up on the beach for a nursing period for a while. And uh, this is exactly what has happened on Kaimana Beach. And as such, the uh, the state of Hawaii has set up 24-7 police protection and a fence to keep the public away so that the seal may nurse in private. And that's just the kind of thing, you know, we were just Mentioning ecotourism and closing down even a part of a beach in Hawaii could be a challenging thing, but um, they realize the importance of letting endangered animals, especially pups, especially sealets, um, you know, nurse properly and and get a good healthy start. And so they just did the thing, and I just really love that. In Massachusetts, April 24th was the first ever Right Whale Day, a day focused on letting people learn about the plight of the right whale. Uh, North Atlantic right whales have a population count of around 340 right now, which is not very good in case you didn't realize that. And um, so the hope is that by having Right Whale Day and having it happen every year, there will be sparked conversation and education and more passion put forth uh, from the general populace to save this species. Here's hoping it works. And speaking of whales in general, there has been an uptick in whale deaths off the New York and New Jersey coasts. And the reason why it seems to be is because um, there's so much less food out where they would normally eat, that whales are now moving in to ship-infested waters to try to eat, uh, you know, food that they need and are getting struck by boats at um, unprecedented numbers, which is wiping out the population. So this gets into that whole food chain thing that, that you know, we all learned about back in, like, elementary school. And, um, yeah, as as fish and other food sources are getting wiped out for whales, they're having to move into waters that they should not be in and that they know aren't safe, but they're starving, so they have to go to there. And, um, unfortunately, they're dying at, at high rates because of it. So not quite sure what the answer here is yet, but um, it's definitely a problem. Our friends at Penguins International have teamed up with a variety of zoos, including Columbus, Dallas, Fort Wayne Children's Zoo, the Georgia Aquarium, Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens, our friends at Lehigh Valley Zoo, the National Aviary, uh, Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha, um, and the Shark Reef Aquarium, Tulsa Zoo, Zoo New England, and others to encourage people to sign a pledge to become a penguin hero. And in order to do this, you have to agree to partake in seafood-free Saturdays. Make a choice to not purchase or consume seafood on Saturdays. Skip the squid. Stop consuming squid, a penguin favorite, and tell your friends to do likewise. The tuna challenge, uh, which is to shop sustainable, buy pole and line caught tuna. So uh, if you're willing to do those three things, then you can become a penguin hero. I don't eat seafood, so I'm already a penguin hero, so y'all need to catch up. But uh, you can do that and and take the pledge by going to Penguins International's social media pages and following the link to become a penguin hero. 
And you may be wondering why this was in conservation news instead of zoo news when it involved so many zoos and aquariums. But I really like Penguins International and uh, they're a conservation organization. So I put it there. In other news. One of the reasons that I like turtles so much is that they've been around forever and they're just wildly adaptable and good at things. And uh, some recent mystery behavior from turtles has now been figured out and it's just a great example of this. Lately, all around the world, people have noticed turtles basking at night. Now, basking is when turtles lay out in the sun absorbing heat and so basking at night seems like a contradiction but in fact it seems like what's happening is with climate change leading to water staying warmer longer and also to um, external daytime temperatures being too warm for the turtles uh, turtles are now basking at night, hopping out of the too warm water to actually get into the air, which is cooler, though still warm enough to do the turtly things that they need to do. So yeah, we've screwed up our planet so much that turtles are now basking at night. It's an amazing example of how they are survivors and also why we suck. Y'all, naked mole rats are weird. We we know this, right? They live longer than any other rodent up to 37 years. And uh, they don't really show that they feel pain like other animals do, or at least other mammals do. They live in underground colonies. Only the queen can have babies. They're just really strange. They also almost never get cancer, which is like cool for them, but also weird. Uh, anyway, um, there, there's another interesting thing about them, and we finally figured out what's going on, and it's really weird. Naked mole rats never stop being able to have babies. Now, we're talking about the females, because that's who has babies. Um, and, you know, most mammals, we know that when you are born, you have a finite number of eggs, and and that's all that you can do when it comes to having babies. It turns out that apparently naked mole rats are born without eggs and then create them during their lives and keep replenishing stock over time. So there is no limited number of eggs that eventually, you know, you run out of. And so the naked mole rat queens are so freaking weird amongst mammals. And it turns out that they can basically keep having babies forever because they don't have a limited supply of eggs like most other mammals. Just another way that naked mole rats are really freaking weird. And then last but not least in other news, a moose in Alaska has done a crazy thing again. In this case, it wandered into an Alaskan movie theater where it found a tray of popcorn that was placed next to the trash can to be thrown out, and it started to pig out. So uh, much like me, sometimes moose just go to movies to eat the popcorn. But again, this is like the, what, third or fourth week where we've had one or multiple moose stories involving, like, cuckoo banana pants moose actions in Alaska. So they should probably, like, stop it. Yeah, they should probably stop it. Actually, on my notes for this week, I literally just wrote, holy crap, another moose thing, exclamation point. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. 
All right. So that brings us to our animal holidays for the week. And uh, we are ending April, which is Ape Awareness Month and National Frog Month. And uh, if you're listening on the day this came out, the 28th, it is Arbor Day. The 29th is World Veterinary Day and National Go Birding Day and Save the Frogs Day, which is something that some veterinarians do. So uh, World Veterinary Day and Save the Frogs Day work out pretty well together. The 30th is both Pet Parents Day and Adopt a Shelter Pet Day. And then that brings us into May, which is National Lake Cleanup Month, National Duckling Month, and No Mow May, which is a movement encouraging people to not mow and let their grasses grow, something that I am a big fan of. Let's rewild our yards, y'all. Anyway, the first is National Purebred Dog Day and Save the Rhino Day, which makes sense because rhinos are basically just big puppies. Uh, the second is World Tuna Day. May 3rd is Wild Koala Day and Leopard Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. So there you have it, folks. Another uh, week's worth of zoo news is officially in your ear holes now. You're welcome. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey, my Red Panda level patrons. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has been submitting uh, zoo news stuff for me. Y'all are great. And please... Please keep doing so. Um, but I did want to say I've heard from a couple people lately who were bummed that maybe a story didn't make it or whatever. And I just want to let you know that along with all of the stories that we had today, I had an additional uh, 15 available in Zoo News. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in conservation news and um, seven in other news, all just from this week that people sent in that were awesome. But um, at that point in time, this would be a two hour podcast. And uh, I want to protect my own sanity as well as your sanity by not making that happen. So please do keep sending things in. It's not always like that every week. Um, and it's it's really helpful to have a lot of cool things to pull from so that I can choose the the tone and the vibe and, and what stories make it. And some of the stories that you didn't hear this week will probably be in there next week. So you never know. But I appreciate everything that gets sent in. But I did just want to let you all know, you know, this has become a pretty popular thing. And um I, I just wanted to let you all know that I, I do read them all. I do check them all out. I'm greatly appreciative. Uh, but if your story isn't making it, it's it's just a numbers game at this point. Keep sending them, though, and and it will eventually. One of your stories will get on there. And regardless of whether it does or not, I'll still say your name right now when I say something like this. I would like to thank the following people for contributing articles this week to Zoo News. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Kristen Khalil, Crystal Chapman, Karen Musklau, Laura Shank, Becca Robinson, Liz Dunlevy, Sam Evans, and Christopher Gross. Thank you all so much, and thank you all for listening. And finally, remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards. Our Steiderk Yuswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. 
Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.